I'd like to welcome everyone, and we're so glad that you have chosen to fellowship with us this morning. I'd like to take a couple moments, go through some announcements, take a look at the rear of your bulletin as well as the screen behind me. Uh, first of all, the leadership would like to thank all who worked on outside as well as those that decorated the interior of the, of the church this morning. Uh, we have a great number of people that took time away from their busy days to come, and we are most grateful. So thank you to all those that uh, performed that task yesterday. Uh, other announcements, the next family ministry will meet tonight at church from 6 to 8 p.m. And for those that are looking for some good devotional over the holidays, we have some literature, one here by John Pfeiffer, as well as other books. They're daily devotionals that might be great for you or, and or that you can share with your family. We have those that we're going to put these at the information table, as well as others downstairs in our little library that we have. And for those that are looking for something to help them over the devotionals, a reading, we would highly recommend those. Also, for those that have volunteered and for those that are going to volunteer to work on visuals, there's going to be a short training session immediately following the church. So if you didn't sign up and if you'd like to work on visuals, uh, here's your chance. Again, it's real simple. They'll train you. Um, so again, please stay and uh, convene and they'll probably be finished within a couple minutes. Our next workday at the Donegal Food Bank, for those that don't know, we're one of 13 churches that work at the food bank that take care of those less fortunate in this area of the county. Our next workday is January 6th from 1.30 to 3.30. If anyone is available, please see me so I know how to staff that for that day. Also, uh, we'll continue for those that don't know that we have prayer meeting downstairs on Sunday morning as we have reconvened our church from 9.15 to about 9.45 downstairs in the fellowship hall. So for those that uh, would like to avail themselves, please, it's open for anyone to join them for prayer. This year's Christmas Eve uh, candlelight service will be at 7 p.m. on December 24th. And uh, please take a note also that our annual business meeting will be on January 31st, immediately following the service. And uh, we are a very open church as well as a congregational in our pulpit. That means the way that we make decisions are really the decisions that the church body, the congregation, approves. And uh, right now, the next leadership meeting for the elders and the leaders will be on Monday, will be tomorrow night, not Tuesday, but Monday night, as they finalize the budget, as well as some other important issues that we will present to the congregation for voting on uh, January uh, 31st at that congregational meeting. Back at the information table is a preliminary, preliminary budget. So if you wanted to get a copy of that, you can, but that is preliminary. Uh, as I said, we'll finalize that this week. So we'd ask for the congregation to please pray, pray over these decisions that will be made this upcoming week. We also ask you to pray on Monday evening for those that meet here in the church under uh, Narcotics Anonymous. Please pray not only for those, but for all their families that are afflicted by that insidious disease. Also, in celebration of the life of the church, members of our church, we have two happy birthdays. One 
and both of them were on Friday, and Berrios' birthday, we won't say how old she was, but also Jack Shawaran also had his birthday on Friday. So happy birthday to both of those. Mike Doherty, I'm sorry, Mike Doherty's birthday also? Who? Jerry Pyle? Look at that, there's more people having birthdays. Well, praise God for all that. Well, why don't you all please stand that we'll have our call to worship. Sam? morning. It is great to be back with you. Our call to worship this morning is from the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let us pray. Lord, it is with great joy that we come together as your people to worship the light. The light who is shown in the darkness, the, the light who we have seen and beheld in his glory uh, and responded in faith to his gospel. Lord, I pray for us as we worship today, Lord, that your spirit would be at work among us. Open our eyes and our hearts to, to see and behold you in your glory. Lord, I, I pray for the faith, faith of believers today, Lord, that it would be strengthened and built up in you. And Lord, I pray for the salvation of unbelievers today, Lord, that this would be the day that eyes and hearts and minds are open to the truth of the gospel and that they would enter into true life as they are born again in faith in you. Be glorified today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Yeah. 
Amen. A few prayer requests to make you aware of uh, this morning. Uh, first of all, please be in prayer for the Humberts, uh, specifically James. Uh, we don't think he has uh, anything related to COVID, but he did wake up with some stomach issues this morning and has asked that we uh, just keep him in prayers. He is not feeling well this morning. And also, uh, we want to be mindful to uh, pray for Ruth Wallstrom today, who is dealing with a good bit of pain this morning. She did come over and join us for worship, and we uh, certainly praise God for that. And uh, she is waiting to see if uh, she'll need to call the doctor back later today for uh, to get more help or if uh, uh, the steps that she's taken this morning uh, are going to be sufficient to help her deal with that pain that she's in. Also, please uh, pray for the Scott family. Um, Gavin was diagnosed with COVID this past week, so they will be quarantined for the next, uh, next two weeks as they deal with it. And uh, as of now, everybody's doing fine. Uh, there's uh, no, no major issues with it, but they do ask that we continue to pray for, uh, for Gavin and for the rest of the family at this time. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day and again for the opportunity as your people to gather together for worship. Uh, Lord, I want to uh, just thank you for the gift uh, that the church is uh, to us. And uh, Lord, as you have called us to be involved in one another's lives and to love one another and to serve and worship together, uh, Lord, this is indeed a, a means of experiencing your grace as we gather and do life together. And uh, Lord, a part of that is, is, is the call for us to be faithful, to lift one another up in prayer. And it is with uh, a sense of great joy that we do that this morning, recognizing that we are uh, fulfilling uh, our commitment to one another, to pray for one another in every circumstance of life. And so, uh, Lord, we begin this morning by praying for those who are in need physically. Uh, Lord, we pray for your hand upon the Scott family as they... Uh, uh, deal with uh, the COVID virus uh, over the next couple of weeks, Lord. We do pray for uh, quick healing for them, uh, Lord, that uh, they would face uh, no serious complications, and this would be something that runs through their family quickly, that they would uh, be able to return uh, to life uh, as normal. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray this morning for our sister Ruth as well, Lord, asking for your hand to be upon her. Uh, Lord, comfort her in her suffering today, we pray. Uh, and Lord, strengthen her body, we would ask, and Lord, we pray that this would be something that is short-lived in her life as well. And Lord, we continue to pray for the Humberts as well, Lord, specifically for James as he is uh, battling a stomach bug today. Uh, Lord, would you uh, strengthen him, we pray, and, and bring healing to his life. Uh, Lord, I also just want to pray for us as a body as we walk through these strange days as a church uh, Lord, it is certainly our desire uh, to be faithful corporately, uh, to, uh, to proclaim the gospel and to represent you well in this lost and dying world. And Lord, it is also our desire to care well for one another as your people. And Lord, I pray that during this season where uh, many are not comfortable uh, meeting together for small groups and other ministries, Lord, that uh, you would help us to be uh, faithful in our efforts to reach out to one another and to care well for each other, uh, Lord, whether it be through phone calls or, or, or getting together in homes. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to be important encouragement uh, in one another's lives as we seek to bear one another's burdens, as we uh, seek to share the joys that we are facing in life and, uh, and every other circumstance, Lord. We, we want to do this together as your church. Uh, so guide us and direct us, I pray. Uh, Lord, as we continue in worship this morning, I, I pray that, uh, 
Lord, we would indeed be sensitive to your Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, Lord, that we, as we sing and as we pray and as we listen to the Word proclaimed, uh, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst for your Word, that we would hunger and thirst for a deeper walk with you, uh, and Lord, that we would be strengthened and, and emboldened, Lord, to uh, proclaim your gospel in this lost and dying world. Uh, Lord, we pray for those this morning who are unable to be with us. Uh, Lord, whether it be through illness or, or even fear as it relates to uh, the COVID virus, Lord, we pray that uh, um, you would be at work in their hearts as well. Lord, whether they're watching uh, the, the recording of this service or, 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 or even in their individual uh, devotional times, Lord, we pray that they would uh, continue to be built up in their faith, Lord, uh, that they would uh, trust you and be strengthened in you. Lord, help us um, to be sensitive to one another as your people uh, during this time as we uh, walk this road together. Uh, and Lord, we know that you are using this trial for our good and for your glory, so we pray that uh, each one of us would be willing vessels for, for all that your Spirit would do in our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we will dismiss our, dismiss our children for Sunday school. Stand and worship him.
seated on his throne come let us adore him behold our king nothing can compare come let us adore him oh lamb of god all worlds obey Sweet. 
Hard to believe it's been almost a month since I was last with you. Anyway, I greatly appreciate uh, Brother Dave preaching last week so we could be away uh, for Thanksgiving. I'm also very thankful for the chance to be back with you and back in the Gospel of John. And today we find ourselves in John chapter 3. And the focus of the message this morning will be on verses 16 through 21, verses that at least one of which will sound very, very familiar to you all. And if our children were still upstairs, to them as well. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Let us pray. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word today. But as always, I pray for help. Help for me, clarity of thought and mind, help for my brothers and sisters to see you in your glory, to respond as they ought, help for anyone here who is yet to respond in faith to the gospel, that your spirit would bring conviction and understanding and regeneration. Lord, that they would believe and be saved. Lord, we pray that the fruit of our time together in your word would yield eternal glory to your name. Help me physically, I pray, Lord, for I am weak. I ask in your name. Amen. I want to begin this morning with Walt would be a trip down memory lane for some of you sports fans from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Everyone else can just follow along. But the name Roland Stewart probably does not mean much to the majority of the people here who will hear this message or even those who may watch it online, but 
If you watched major sporting events in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it's likely you've seen him even if his name does not ring a bell. Rollin Stewart was the guy who wore the rainbow Afro wig and held up the sign with John 3.16 on it at everything from golf tournaments to, to basketball, NBA finals, and, and everything in between. Now, I, I see the light bulbs coming on for some of you as you smile. Now, again, he's holding up John 3.16, the reference, not the verse. Stewart's story is an interesting one. He was an unsuccessful actor who decided that he would find a way to become famous no matter what. And this led to his first appearance as Rainbow Man at the 1977 NBA Finals, wearing his rainbow wig, but at this point without his John 3.16 sign. The, the sign would come shortly thereafter as Stewart converted, supposedly, to Christianity. And in the 80s, he made appearances at major golf events like the Masters, the Kentucky Derby, the NBA Finals, the Olympics, and even the royal wedding of Princess Diana and Prince Charles, the wedding of the century. He was there. He became famous by face, if not by name, and over time began to draw the ire of producers and broadcasters everywhere as a concerted effort was made to keep him off camera. By the late 80s, certain sporting events even denied him access even to the arenas and the stadiums that, that, that the events were taking place happened. And, and as he began to be denied more and more access, Rollin Stewart began to take extreme steps to remain in the public eye. At the 1991 Masters Golf Tournament, he blew an air horn as golfing legend Jack Nicholas prepared to putt. An unforgivable sin in the golf world. But he didn't stop there. He followed this up by setting off a stink bomb at the Masters. Another no-no. At sporting events throughout that summer, the stink bombs became his trademark. But things got even weirder later that same year. Later that same year, he would be arrested for kidnapping in an attempt to gain media attention and, and, and to promote his new, newly discovered end times beliefs. He actually tried to kidnap three people not far from an airport so that he could get up in front of the news crew and began to talk about the end times. It's quite a story, right? Right now he is serving three life sentences for kidnapping. How could a man linked so closely to the most well-known verse in the Bible get so far off 
course? It's a good question, right? People knew John 3.16 well before Roland Stewart ever put on his Afro wig and held up his big sign, or later had it printed on t-shirts. It was already a well-known verse. But here's someone who is connected with a verse that, that talks about the love of God in, in, in clear terms, right? You, you can't get away from it. Not just the love of God, but the intensity of God's love and, and, and the great steps that God's love took to redeem us. But here, someone so closely related to it found himself far from it in his actions. In some ways, I think he is like Nicodemus, who we learned about two weeks ago, who is also the one to whom Jesus is speaking in our passage this morning. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, the teacher of Israel, a supposed expert on the law of God, a zealous man who ultimately did not comprehend the word of God that he had committed his life to. If John chapter 3 verses 1 through 15 teaches us anything, it's that one can be in close proximity to the truth, to, to, to the word of God, and still not understand it. It's a cautionary tale. This was true of Nicodemus and apparently also very true of Roland Stewart. So today we consider the most well-known verse in the Bible, and we do so in typical New Hope fashion. We do it by keeping it in its context. You would expect nothing less. So we're going to keep it in context by including verses 17 through 21 as well. And we're also going to consider the verses that come before it. And as we do so, we're going to do it under three important headings. First of all, we're going to consider the purpose of Christ's coming. Secondly, we're going to consider a world under condemnation. And then we're going to end by considering the test of genuine faith. Three realities that I believe are clearly evident in the text this morning. And again, I, I pray for the Lord's help and blessing upon his word proclaimed this morning, that unbelievers be saved and that believers would truly reflect the light of the one who died to save us. So let's look at verses 16 and 17, the purpose of Christ's coming. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, to fully appreciate verse 16, we cannot ignore the verses that come before it, specifically verses 14 and 15. But before I read those, I actually want to back all the way up even further 
and summarize verses 1 through 8 for you because it's been a couple of weeks since we were last in John's Gospel. And even then it was via video, which is challenging at times. But in verses 1 through 8 of John chapter 3, John records the conversation, the back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Jesus is introducing Nicodemus to the necessity of being born again. You remember, I hope, verse 3, truly I tell you, you must be born again, Jesus says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is confused, and Jesus goes on to reveal that the new birth is a, is a spiritual birth in nature, verses 4 through 9. And it's received through faith in the Son of Man who will be lifted up. That's verses 14 and 15. Let me read those to you again because we see that this is the beginning of Jesus' discourse on the love of God. Verse 14, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So this new birth that, that Jesus is talking about is, is not a new birth physically where we receive a, a, a new life and we become infants again, but he's talking about entering into a new birth into eternal life. Which brings us to verse 16. For God so loved the world. Now we know that the lifted up in verse 14 is a reference to Jesus' impending crucifixion. And in verse 16 we see that Jesus' death to, to give life to those who believe is the consequence or the, the evidence of God's love for the world. Let that sink in, brothers and sisters. As we face difficult times, whether it be the trials that we are going through now, and, and each of us deal with these things differently, or, or whether it be other trials that we face in life, each one of us are often tempted to question God's love for us, are we not? But throughout Scripture, time and again, we are reminded that the greatest expression of God's love for us is seen clearly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's love is an amazing love, brothers and sisters. It's an undeserved love, brothers and sisters. And it is a perfect love love. John uses the Greek word agape, which is used in which when used in reference to God, emphasizes the work of God in doing what is best for the objects of that love, in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. We are not very lovely or lovable. It also describes the intimacy of the love that God has for us. It describes the, the intimacy between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We will see later in the Gospel. It, it speaks of the intimacy of the love that Jesus had for His disciples and for us, those who would believe the message of the disciples. 
So it is undeserved. It is amazing. It is perfect. It is intimate. And we see in John 3.16 that it is also intense. God's love for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love for sinful mankind led to the greatest expression of love that will ever take place. God hates sin, brothers and sisters, and we better learn to. But he loves mankind to the extent that he gave his only unique, one-of-a-kind son to be lifted up to die to save us. That is our great hope this morning, brothers and sisters. God didn't sacrifice just any son to save us. The Son of God, Jesus, as we have learned, is himself God, and we should marvel at such great love. We should be strengthened by it. We should be humble and thankful, and we should seek to love God more faithfully because of it, brothers and sisters. For God so loved the world. And it's important that we notice that Jesus is emphasizing God's love for the world, not just for the Jews, as Nicodemus would have believed. But the grace of God, the, the, the salvation that is offered, the, the promise of being born again through faith in Christ is something that is extended to people from every tribe and tongue and nation. The offer of salvation is for all who believe, not just those whom God had shown special favor to in the past. D.A. Carson points out that as believers... We must also follow this example of God's love. Says we are not called to love the godless, broken systems and practices of the world with the selfish love that participates and delights in these things. But we must love the world, the people, with the selfless, sacrificial love, the costly love of redemption. A love that, that, that makes us willing to open ourselves up to rejection in order to proclaim the truth of the gospel to those who do not know Christ. We see in these verses, brothers and sisters, that the, the mission of Jesus truly is a rescue mission. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now we're going to focus more on the condemnation of the world in the next section. But, but as we wrap up section one, I, I, I need to focus on how we receive the rescue that is offered to us. In Christ. Whoever believes in him. That word believes is from the, the Greek word pistuo. And a really simple definition of that word is, is a, is a four-word description of what it means to believe. Rely, obey, trust, cling. These are all pictures of what saving belief looks like. Saving faith. 
In fact, that the, the word that's translated believe, pistuo, is actually simply the verb form of, of the noun that is translated faith elsewhere, the Greek word pistis. So, so those two words are, are used synonymously in John's gospel and throughout the Bible as it relates to what it means to have faith. And just as a drowning person must grab hold of the rescue buoy when it is thrown to them in order to be pulled to safety, so also must the sinner grab hold of Jesus in faith to be saved. We must remember that good deeds cannot save us. Church attendance cannot save us. Having relatives in the ministry cannot save us. Being in the ministry cannot save us. Only Jesus can. And friend, let me tell you, you need to be saved if you have not already turned to him in faith. It is the greatest need in your life. Why? Because you live in a world that is condemned and outside of what Jesus has done for you, if you do not respond in faith, you are already condemned. Verses 18 and 19, a world under condemnation. Jesus continues, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Now, some of you just figured out why we had John 1 as our call to worship. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now, many of you know that, that one of the most formative experiences in my life as it relates to uh, biblical counseling was, what was the year residency I did down in South Carolina doing something known as clinical pastoral education. And, and why this was such a shaping time in my life had very little to do with the, the, the content in a positive way in terms of the training I received but because it was a very unbiblical and worldly approach, but what was formative was the fact that it drove me time and again back to the Bible as the basis for the ministry that I did as a hospital chaplain. Now, that's not always the case. There are some CPE programs at hospitals that are very solid. It was not the case where I was, but, but I, I, I began to thrive there because every day my faith was challenged. Surely you don't really believe the Bible says that. Well, yeah, it kind of does. And I remember my director, a, a gentleman whom I, I liked as a person, but, but he was very far from the truth. He, he used to love to sound wise and say, you know, most people think that John 3.16 is, is their favorite verse in the Bible, but, but I like John 3.17 better. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, which sounds great by itself. Yeah, Jesus didn't come to condemn. Hey, pal, why don't you keep reading? Jesus didn't come to condemn, so why are you condemning? Well, context matters, does it not, brothers and sisters? The answer better be yes. 
Jesus didn't come to condemn because the world is already condemned. And it's important that we see that. God didn't send Jesus into some neutral type world where sin was not already prevalent and had not already affected and infected everyone. And that's the point of verses 18 and 19. Everyone was guilty before God, and they still are. That word condemned means to pass judgment on. And John, or Jesus makes it clear in verses 18 and 19 that, that the way not to be condemned is simple. Whoever believes in Him, the Son of God, is not condemned. Why? All the way back to verse 14. Because He was lifted up, or He would be lifted up, to bear our condemnation when He gave His life on the cross for us. Verse 18 continues, though, with the bad news. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, a common complaint among those who love their sin more than they love God is that Christians are too judgmental. And you know what? When self-righteousness is in play, that is certainly true. But when we are sharing the gospel or are confronting someone in love, we're simply agreeing with what God has already said. And we cannot lose sight of that. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The light has come. We, we saw that in John chapter 1 this morning. John has introduced us to Jesus as the light already. He is the light. And some people will not have him as their Savior because they love sin and darkness more. That is a reality that we must come to terms with. But brothers and sisters, we don't know who that will be. If you had met me before Christ opened my eyes to the truth of the gospel, you would have thought that, that there was no hope. There, there was no one more content in his sin than I was. I was a miserable human being, but it wasn't because of my sin. At least I didn't think at the time. Now we know that I was the case. But I would have been one of those people that you were probably hesitant to share the gospel with. But praise God, there were some who were not. We don't know, and so we need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ freely wherever we go. The reality that there are people out there that, that, that love their sin more than, than they love a Savior who gave His life to, to redeem them is, is sobering, but, but it should be a reminder of the importance of our sharing the gospel even more. Our urgency must grow as we understand that condemnation is not just something that awaits the unbeliever, but it's something that they are under right now. And that would be a word that I would share to, for, for anyone here this morning that does not believe. 
You need to understand that, that you should be afraid, not just because there's a judgment that awaits, but right now, in this moment, you are under condemnation from God. You are being rightly judged for your rebellion against the God who created you. And your only hope is to turn to the one who gave his life that you could truly live in him. This reality of a, of a present condemnation should cause believers to think more clearly about the present reality of our salvation as well. How often do we simply think about our reconciliation to God in terms of that glorious day when either we die and we go and enter into His presence, or when that trumpet finally sounds and Jesus returns, not to save the world, but to take over. Those will be glorious times indeed, but we are saved now brothers and sisters. We are in Christ now, brothers and sisters, and our lives must reflect that reality. The world needs to see it. So unbeliever, you are condemned. And although you may not fear God as you should, you will if you do not repent. But believers... Speaking to the majority of you here, people whom we've worshipped with and served together for the past 10 years, and many of you much longer than that, understand something. That, that the gift of salvation that you have received in Christ is, is something that should be transforming your life now. Which brings us to the test of genuine faith in verses 20 and 21, Jesus continues, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Jesus makes it clear that unbelief leads to the love of darkness and lives that are marked by sinful living. The words evil and wicked things in the Greek are related to one another. They describe things that are worthless, bad, things that are base, which dishonor God. Jesus warns that those who take pleasure in such things show a lack of love for God. What do we love this morning, brothers and sisters? The wicked, those who are not convicted of their sin, they hate the light because in coming to Jesus, their sins are exposed. But we must, must not forget, brothers and sisters, that exposure is a good thing when it leads to repentance and faith. But for those who will not believe, exposure leads to shame and a continued love of sin. But, verse 21, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. 
those who have been redeemed through faith in Jesus will show evidence of that redemption through how they live. Is it a perfect obedience? No. We fall short on our best day. But is there evidence in our lives, day after day, that the Spirit of God is at work within us? Do we display peace in our lives? Are we peaceable with those around us? Do we love things that are righteous or are we continuing to pursue things which dishonor God? It matters. Not that we are earning that salvation by how we live, but that our lives are reflecting our faith in the one who was lifted up to save us, Jesus Christ our Lord. This idea of knowing us by our fruit, the evidence in our lives, is one that we find throughout Scripture. We see it in the Gospels and in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, as Jesus is warning about the presence of false prophets. We're going to read that. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will recognize them by their fruits. In Galatians, Paul calls the church to bear fruit. That is evidence of the work of the Spirit in their lives. The book of James, James makes the case that, that faith is what is revealed. Our, 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 the genuineness of our faith is what is revealed in the fruit of our lives. He uses the word works. Jesus is drawing a clear distinction between those who are condemned and those who are born again. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. John, the apostle, presents this in a way that, that is not to give us this fatalistic doom for those who recognize that they are outside the faith and, and, a, and a spiritual pride for those that see themselves as being in it, but it really is a, a call to examine ourselves Remember, everything that John writes in this gospel is done so that we may believe and have life in the name of Jesus. So as I close, brothers and sisters, let us reflect as John and the Holy Spirit intends. Last week, while we were away, or last Sunday we were actually back, but we went to here. Some guy you guys may have heard of a time or two over in York, West Bunting. Um, never had the opportunity to actually go and hear him preach since he's been pastoring this new church for a year now. Can you believe that? Well, Wes is preaching from the book of 1 John. I haven't accused him of trying to piggyback anything, but, but if you want to, go ahead. But he preached an excellent message on this very reality. The love of God sets his people apart from the world. And it needs to be evident.
We need not be surprised that the world hates us. In fact, we should be concerned when the world loves us. When the world approves of what we promote. In fact, maybe we should invite the hatred of the world as it relates to the gospel even more. And when we are rejected for our efforts in love, not prideful, we're not trying to be combative, we're not, you know, this, this, this version of, of, of Christian male that's, that, 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 that seems to be rising up right now that, that simply wants to argue every point of theology, and all, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a confidence in the nature and character of God and, and a confidence in His Word and His Gospel and a love for Him that compels us to, to speak the truth in love to those who so desperately need to know Him. I'm talking about true gospel faithfulness and boldness. Not contrary simply for the sake of being argumentative. But we need to embrace this call as followers of Christ to, 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 to receive the rejection of the world in order to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as I close, what, what does the fruit of our lives say about the state of our souls? If you're in a season of loving the darkness more than the light, May I lovingly challenge you to ask yourself if you've really truly responded in faith to the gospel. And if you can say wholeheartedly yes, then I follow up with the question, then why are you living for the things that Jesus died to set you free from? We all have seasons where we're weak and we struggle, each and every one of us. But that must drive us to even a greater dependence on God, on Christ and the work of His Spirit and, and the Word of God in our lives. We need to trust our brothers and sisters around us enough to, to, to ask them for prayer and, and to hold us accountable for how we are living our lives. We need to seek help because we were not designed to, to, to live this life, this Christian life, alone. In the church, lone rangers always become dead strangers. We never really knew you because you never let us. Jesus was lifted up on the cross where he bore the wrath of God, not for his own sin, but for yours and for mine. And the offer who will all, for all who will turn to him in faith, rely, obey, trust, cling, depend upon. All who turn to him in faith will be born again to a new and living hope, both in this life and eternity. Non-believer, don't let another day go by before you receive this gift of grace from God.
who showed his love for you in the death of his son. Believer, allow this glorious and clear picture of uh, of the love of God poured out for you to reorient every aspect of your life. Bringing yourself in line with his word and his priorities, his agenda as revealed in his word for us. May God do this for our good and for his glory. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your word. And I pray for each one of us, O oh Lord, that our lives would line up with our testimony of faith in you. Lord, that you would help us to truly delight ourselves in you and all that you have done. And Lord, that you would use us to bring glory to your name in this dark world. That we would truly love the light, the light who is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, more than the darkness that seems to tempt us so often. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Amen. We are dismissed.